Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, a letter that is written about the church and the importance of, first of all, what God is doing in the church. When we sing of the church, we're not talking about the structure that we're meeting in, but the body itself of believers, and then how God is moving that forward through our proper behavior within the church, and that's what the the last three chapters of this book are dealing with. We have a wonderful spirit here at Tri-City Baptist Church, and I I really do believe that we are well-positioned to advance the gospel. As we've talked about the, the uniqueness of our, our church, the, uh, the multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural aspect, and that we have a, desire, a congregation that desires to hear the Word of God and, and then is committed to serve others. And, and to see that ministry at every age, I, I enjoy watching our children leave for children's church in the, on Sunday morning as they run out. And the, the excitement, the enthusiasm to hear the word, uh, that we have a dedicated staff, and, and now that we are financially free from the, the burden of debt that, that was necessary to move us to this location, but that we're really here in a, a way that, that we can now see the gospel go forward. But saying all that, we have to be very careful that we do not drop our guard. We are engaged in a spiritual battle and there are several areas of danger that I think can, can confront our ministry if we're not careful. There, as I was thinking about it, I think there are, are several areas of danger to ministry advancement. And I just want to very quickly mention these so they're on our radar. There, there's the danger of the, the secular worldly culture, the, the attacks from without, that, that we have to guard against both infiltration by the world but also isolation from the world. That, that as a church, we have a responsibility to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, I, I shared last Sunday evening that we live in a time where professed faith of believers has less influence on our culture, but the culture has more influence on professed faith. And that we have to be careful not to allow the shifting winds of our, our culture to, to determine our faith that we have to protect our children from the wickedness of our culture and really the attacks upon their souls, that that we recognize that. But we also can't have an isolationist mindset where where the church becomes a bunker where we simply retreat and we wait for the coming of Christ. No, we are here because God has a mission for us to fulfill. And that's to see the gospel go forth. So we have to be aware of that. We also have to be guarding against personal sinful corruption, that that we guard our own hearts. That when you read through Scripture, you see that Israel lost the battle at Ai because there was sin in the camp, the sin of of one man, and that we have to be on guard. We we know that the sailors in the story of of Jonah that were in his boat were, were put in jeopardy because of Jonah's sin. So we have to keep our heart with all diligence. And and we looked at this really back in in January, talked about the importance of of living in personal holiness, that that we recognize that sin and spiritual immaturity result in a lack of effectiveness as a church 
And, and so we have to be careful. We have to guard against spiritual complacency. I mentioned that last Sunday evening. One of the joys of being debt-free is there's, there's that weight off, but we have to be on guard that we don't become complacent. The Lord rebuked the church at Laodicea in Revelation because they assumed that they were rich and had become wealthy and didn't need anything, Revelation 3.17. And yet they had great spiritual needs. And so we don't want to ever become complacent in, in the work that God has for us. And then we have to be on guard against conflict. The danger of damage coming from within. And what we have been doing and sought to do in our Sunday mornings and actually Sunday evening as well is, is looking at the questions that I asked our church congregation almost five years ago, just before the, the vote was taken on calling me to be the pastor. And we've looked at several of these questions. We've actually looked at the first four of them. We've gone through these already. Will you seek to prepare your heart to receive the word before we come that we would be receptive hearers? Will we endeavor to live daily in a way that will please the Lord? The question is not what can I do, but what should I do? What, would do, what can I do to please the Lord? Will we strive to be holy? Last Sunday evening, we looked at this fourth question. Will we aim to be equipped to minister in the local church by, by faithful attendance and serving to advance the cause of Christ? That, that we're, we're really looking at the church as a body working together. Which brings us to the fifth question that I want us to consider this morning that I'd asked several years ago, that will you refuse to gossip and attempt to solve problems biblically? We have to be on guard from the attacks from without, but we also have to guard our hearts from within. And what I want us to consider this morning is that the spiritual unity of Christ's church is cultivated through God-honoring communication. That our conversation, our communication ought to be that which brings honor and glory to the Lord. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 4, I want to look at, really read the first half of this chapter that gives us a context for what I want us to consider this morning. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love 
may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word, we pray that we would apply it personally and practically. We thank you for the unity that we have here at, at Tri-City Baptist Church, and we pray that, that as a spiritual family, as a body, that we would guard that unity that has been given by the Holy Spirit, that we would walk in humility, that we would speak with words of grace and edification, and that you would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What, are, what we are going to see in this passage is that the spiritual unity of Christ's church is cultivated through speech that brings honor and glory to the Lord. We see that what God is doing, bringing a body together, that we will walk in humility and speak with love and use our spiritual gifts that every person has for the sake of the body. Now, the first thing I want us to see is that by definition, the church is a group of believers who gather together as a unified spiritual family. We see that in the beginning of this, that, that there's one body. We're brought together with one spirit. There's an endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in that body. And last Sunday evening, we considered the, the aspect of the spiritual family. I, I've, I've said before that your spiritual family will outlast your physical family. The church is, as we saw from 1 Timothy, called the house of God. It, it's not talking about the architectural structure, but the spiritual structure, the, the body of Christ. It's interesting, in our family devotions last evening, we were reading in Luke chapter 8, and, and Jesus' mother and brothers come to him, and they can't get in because of the crowd. And, and some of the people, they say, your, your mother and brothers are, out, are outside. And, and I'm curious, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. It's like, well, do you have extra VIP passes to let them in because they're your family? Or, you know, is there, are you going to go out and see them? And Jesus' response was, those who hear the word of God and do it, are my family, my mother and brothers. That that is a spiritual family. We are a spiritual family. The church is not a religious club. It's a body. And it's important that we think that way, that, that we think of the church as Christ does, as God does, and see the importance of that. So when we see that, then what we see is that the church gathers for both worship and edification. That we come together to worship together. That, that our singing is that we corporately lift our voices and praise to God. It's not about us individually, it's about us as a body. And the edification of that. And, and it's interesting to see the, the, the metaphors that are used in Scripture for the church. You have the, the picture of the body, of a building the, that is being built together with, with Christ the chief cornerstone. The, the picture of a field in 1 Corinthians, of a family, of a flock. And each of these gives that unique perspective that it's like pieces of the puzzle being brought together. Or as it says here, that, that we're a whole body joined and knit together by what every part supplies. That we all have a part. And, and so it's, it's really insufficient to not gather. 
that we are told to come together. This was what the early church did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. They, they came together for teaching, for instruction, but then for fellowship, for praying together to encourage one another. That we're to pray for one another, as James 5, 16 reminds us, we're, we're to confess our trespasses to one another. There's a spiritual accountability that comes, that when we sin against somebody, we make it right. And, and understanding that, that all of that directs us then to worship. So, so why do we come? Why do you come? Do you come purposefully looking for opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you? Because we read that He's given gifts to everyone when, we, when He ascended on high. Do you use them for the glory of God in the church? Really, the question is, do we come to give or to get? You know, are we, are, we, are we consumers or contributors? Because we're, we're to come together to minister. We worship, but we also build others up. So, so what does it take to build somebody up? Well, that's the second thing we see is that the church body is built through the knowledge and relationships. You know, if, if you're going to encourage somebody, it takes having a relationship with them. And that's one of the reasons for our small groups. They, they give us opportunity, but, but they also require a level of commitment on our part. The goal is more than just instruction, though that's part of it. It's friendship. It's fellowship. It's supporting one another in prayer. And, and we see then that, that the church body assumes discipleship as a family responsibility. That the Holy Spirit calls us and equips us for the sake of ministry. That's verse 12, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. That he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that God calls for the purpose of, of really that we are prepared to minister to one another. That the minister, so we say ministers every member at Tri-City. We, we take it from here that we're, we're equipped to do the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ and understanding that, that we have that responsibility. So according to verses 13 and 16, we all have a place in the unity and the maturity of the body. So are we doing our part? We, 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 if we don't assemble, we can't really use our gifts. And that's why it's so important that we join together. So, understanding that the church is a family, what is the danger to the spiritual unity of the church? And what we see secondly is a danger to the spiritual unity of the church as a body occurs when the relationships are damaged. We really see in verses 11 through 19 the, the caution of that. We see the positive side, but, but there's warnings in verses 14, 15, and 16 about spiritual immaturity about instability, about imposters. As, as it talks about, about those in, in, that come in, that the trickery of men, the cunning craft, craftiness and deceit, and that these can damage a relationship. And then the importance of how we speak to that edifying relationship. So what is it that hinders relationship? Well, fear and lack of trust. If you don't trust somebody, there's going to be a barrier in that relationship. 
And what we have to see is that the family relationship is damaged when trust is broken. That, that when there's not a trust in a family, there's a problem in the relationship. There are barriers that go up. Go up. So what undermines trust? What is it that really betrays that? And often that comes through speech. The failure to fulfill what this passage says, but, but spreading rumors, loose talk, false statements. Proverbs 10, 19 says that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And understanding that trust is broken, the trust within the body is betrayed through sinful speech. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man sows strife, a whisperer separates the best of friends. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about speech. We, we sometimes think of that, and I, I was speaking to our, our uh, young people, our kids in, in chapel one day, and I, I was, talked about the saying that we, you know, we heard on the playground years ago, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I'm telling them, that's a lie. And one of the kids blurted out and said, I've never heard that before. I thought, may your tribe increase. <laughs> you know, oh, that that were the testimony of most of us. But the truth is, that's a lie. Words can hurt deeply. Words can cause tremendous damage. And the danger of sinful speech, the Bible has much to say positively. We're to speak the truth with the purpose of edification, as we read in verse 15, that for spiritual growth. But when you read through Scripture, you find over and over the damage done by speech. Genesis chapter 3 opens with the serpent insinuating with a question. Can you eat of every tree of the garden? Well, what's he doing? He's casting doubt on God's word and on God's integrity. And it's done by a question. You know, seven of the things that Proverbs 6 lists as an abomination to the Lord, three of them have to do with speech. A lying tongue, a false witness who speaks lies, and the one who sows discord among brethren. You know, a person who causes internal strife is an abomination to God. That's why we have to be on guard. Proverbs 16, 28, as it says, a perverse man sows strife. A whisper separates friends. If you're reading through the Bible, if you're using the plan that we've put out on the table and made available to go through the Bible in a year, this week you'll be coming to Numbers. In the book of Numbers, it's interesting because over and over we find God's anger aroused because of Israel's rebellion demonstrated in their speech. In Numbers chapter 11, they're complaining about the food. In Numbers chapter 12, the complaint against Moses' leadership comes from his very own family, Miriam and Aaron. In chapters 13 and 14, you have 10 spies who go into the promised land and they bring a bad report and cause Israel to rebel. In chapter 16, you have the religious leaders uprising against Moses. And, and it's interesting, but... And we, we can look at some specific categories, but the general idea that is there is the category of evil reports. And what we find is that tr the trust relationship is broken by evil reports. And you find this in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, as I mentioned, this is when the spies go in to spy out the land. And, and they come back and, and God has promised them this land, said he will bring them into this land. Twelve spies go in, ten come back with an evil report. And I find it striking that ten men 
bringing a negative report about the place that God had for them turns hundreds and thousands of people against God's plan. Was it God's plan they go into the promised land? Absolutely. The, the, the sending in spies was for strategy. But they come back and think it's their responsibility to determine whether they should go in or not. And because of those ten men, Israel's, they precipitated Israel's rebellion and it resulted in 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Ten men turned really over a million people. The hundreds of thousands is the men that were counted in the census. And it says in Numbers 14, verses 36 and 37, the term that is used for what the spies did, they brought an evil or bad report. They brought a report that presented them details of the land in a negative light, and it encouraged Israel's rebellion against God. And I, I say this because the Bible refers to negative stories or comments of others as evil reports. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8, it refers to the attributing to a bad reputation. And the aspect of is often referred to in the Old Testament as tail-bearing. It's forbidden in the law, in Leviticus 19.16. It's in the writings, it's in Proverbs and the prophets. In fact, Jeremiah 6.28 and Ezekiel 22.9 tell us that one of the reasons Israel went into captivity was because of their evil speech. Slander. This is why it's such an important area that we guard against. You know, the more familiar problems that we, we think of are, are what would be called gossip, tail-bearing, whispers. This is why that opening question, the fifth question I asked, would we, would we refuse to gossip? Because that can destroy a church. Five years ago, that was the question I asked. So what does that mean? Well, in, in Romans chapter 1, it describes the downward degradation of sin. And it talks of this, that it mentions whispers. And gossip, according to Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, and dealing with the sins of the tongue, defines it this way, the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if the information is true. See, 1 Timothy 5, 13, it's, a, it's, it's speaking of, of the widows who were going house to house and said they're idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips, busybodies, saying things they ought not. And they didn't even have the ability to text or call or use social media. See, a, a gossip is someone who betrays confidences, who shares private information. And if you've ever had that happen about you, it breaks a trust. And you know how that hurts. You know, it can happen in many settings. It, it is so prevalent in our culture that we almost forget about it. You know, the break room at work, the discussions that take place. You know, wives talking negatively about their husbands and husbands talking negatively about their wives. It can be in teacher talk about a student or parent talk about gatherings with, with, about their teens. You know, it can happen in small groups. It can happen in prayer requests. A book in, in a book by Michael Green says, he quotes this, he says, Christians don't gossip, they just share prayer requests. Yes, sharing unfavorable information as a prayer request is often gossip. James 3.6 says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So how do we know if it's gossip? Well, one of the easiest questions to ask is, is this person directly part of the problem or part of the solution? 
And if they're not, then they really don't need to know that negative information. And it's probably gossip. Closely tied to this is the sin of slander. Proverbs 2, 3, the older women in the church were not to slander, but were to teach the younger women to be reverent in behavior, to be discreet, to be chaste. Again, Bridges defines it this way, a false statement or misrepresentation about another person that defames or damages that person's reputation. Now, Now, that is a really a biblical description more than an American legal definition. Slander is needlessly spreading negative information. And to assume that it only happens if a person knows it's not true is really missing the biblical responsibility. Because in in Ephesians 4.15, it says we're to speak the truth in love. Say, well, I didn't know it wasn't true. Did you know it was true? Because if you didn't know that it was true, then it shouldn't be said. Because you're not speaking truth, and then we have to look at the motive. The motive has to be love. So even if it is true to spread negative private information that is not known publicly is not edifying, it's damaging. And so really the third area that covers this is sharing private problems. Proverbs 20, verse 19, he goes about as a talebearer, reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with one who flatters his lips. Proverbs 17, 9, the second half says, he who repeats a matter separates friends. So so how do we know? Well, I would say if, if our talk creates walls and barriers and drives people apart, rather than bringing them together where they can grow in Christ, it's probably gossip. If you cause people to pull away from church or other Christians by your words rather than leaning in, then we need to learn to be quiet. A wonderful memory verse would be 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Aspire, or as the King James says, study to mind your own business. Because it can be damaging to a church. We want to come together that people will hear the love of Jesus Christ and see that love in the body. And we have that here. This is, this is cautioning us that we, not, that we not drop our guard. But I would say we also need to avoid people that cause you to doubt the sincerity and the integrity of others without clear biblical reason. Do you think that the ten spies who died thousands of years ago are the last ones to bear reports about God's people and to God's people? No, that still happens. Romans 16, 17 says, Mark and take note of those who cause division and avoid them. See, the Bible is more concerned about the spiritual health of Christ's body than the feelings of the person who's gossiping. And we have to have the mind of Christ. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians three seventeen, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And we are God's temple. That's why it's so important that we think biblically about the body. Beware of the person who distributes what is private unnecessarily. And one of the questions is, why are you telling me? You know, why do I need this information? Am I part of the problem or part of the solution? And always be aware that, as, as somebody said, the dog that brings a bone will also take one away. The person who gossips to you will gossip about you. Because it's not about you, it's about them. 
And God doesn't accept excuses for sin. We have to confess and forsake. I find it interesting, a a book titled Stop Runaway Conversation, the author talks about uh, a situation where there were three men in a foreign country. They had risen to a position of governmental leadership and the administration, and it was because of their integrity that they were in that position. But the, the, the king of that country, the ruler, because of his pride, uh, instituted a very unwise policy that these men could not follow in good conscience before God. And other men leveled the accusation against these men of integrity. They came and brought that negative report, that evil report to the king, and the arrogant ruler just exploded. And he decided not only would he remove them from their positions, he would remove them from life. You've probably heard of this man. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. We read the story in Genesis chapter, or in in Daniel chapter 3, of the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of us as children learn the story about the three men in the fiery furnace. But do you realize they ended up there because of an evil report? They were acting in integrity. Now, yes, there was the arrogance of the king. You know, sadly, that's not uncommon among unbelievers. But it shouldn't be said of God's people. Because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us there are four four of the five situations in the opening verses come from the book of Numbers. And it says these are written for a warning to us that we wouldn't do what they did. So understanding the danger, so, so how do we guard against that? I want us to see the positive side, that we would seek to solve problems biblically. And we'll, we'll go into more detail on problem solving this evening, but I want us to see the bigger picture, that the third thing is the dedication to protect and promote spiritual unity requires a personal commitment to God-honoring communication. And really, from verses 20 through the rest of the chapter, and we're not going to read this, but in Ephesians 4, you find how there's going to be that change of life, the put off the old former manner of living, change our attitude and put on the new, and that will be seen in our speech. The verse 29 says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. If our speech isn't edifying, we need to examine it. We're to minister grace to those who hear us. We're to avoid the corrupt, the rotten the the garbage is really the idea behind that word avoid the trash talk because the goal is edification so how do we do that well number one determine to keep appropriate confidences as we've already talked about not sharing negative information unnecessarily proverbs 17 9 he who covers transgression seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates friends and the danger that comes, the damage when those separations come. Honor confidences by, by keeping our mouths closed. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 19 and 20, Paul is cautioning the church because he's planning to come to them and he says, I'm, I'm concerned that if I come, there will be the outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, and whispering. He's saying, watch what you say. Gossip is wrong in the church and it's wrong in the home. God's concerned what goes on in our homes, 1 Timothy 5.13. They were going house to house. So we need to keep confidence. Secondly, consider the needs of others for spiritual growth. I mean, what is this church supposed to look like? As we read, we're a body coming together and ministering to each other. 
We need to help each other. Speaking the truth in love, verse 15 says, that, that it may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, and the whole body is brought together. Satan wants to pull the body apart. God's goal is that we come together. The church ought to be a place where we as believers can grow and minister to one another effectively and selflessly. I mean, what does it look like if you're going to look for somebody to give you help? If you've ever, if you're struggling or you've struggled, what is the type of person you look for? Well, first you want somebody who's actually concerned, that shows a genuine concern. That's what a church ought to be. And if somebody's struggling with sin in their life, they want to be able to go to somebody that they can trust. So what would hinder them coming? Knowing that that person can't be trusted in what they say. Well, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, you don't want that. You want somebody that you know, this is somebody I could go to for counsel. And that's what we're to be as a church. So it's recognizing other people have needs and we want to encourage that because the truth is we too have needs. We need people to encourage us. A third thing is we need to learn to cover sins and situations that can legitimately be covered. Hatred stirs strife. Love covers all sin. 1 Peter 4.8, love will cover a multitude of sins. This, this doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin. That's not what it's saying. What it does mean is we don't spread negative information or broadcast failures. We want to keep it as limited as possible to those who are part of the problem or part of the solution. Because love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't take pleasure in the power of negative information. And that's really what motivates this often. It's, it's the power of it. Did you hear about so-and-so? That's not covering sin. A fourth one is refuse to participate in the soul-damaging discussions. We have to understand that even if we're not that person doing the gossiping, the slander, if we listen, it's going to hurt our soul. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the innermost part of the body. There's something sinfully delicious about hearing about another person's failures. That, that's our sinful nature. There are entire magazines and channels in our culture that inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, well, godly minds don't. And if people feel comfortable giving us all that negative information, we need to under, really ask why. Because are we a person who's directing them to Bible solutions? Or we are, are we a sympathetic ear? Gossip is a decadent dessert to the fleshly soul. It feeds the flesh. And the truth is it's addictive. There's an element of pride in being in the know. Oh, I've got information that others don't have and, and I can share it and now it's a pride issue. But understand, it destroys a person's reputation. Proverbs, 8, Proverbs 10, 18 says, whoever spreads slander is a fool. There was, there was a property that, that was next to our church in Maine 
It was kitty corner off of our church, and we were out of space. We didn't have enough parking. We were parking at a, a bank a quarter mile away and running a shuttle. We were asking the businesses next to us if we could use their parking. And, and this property was kitty corner. It wasn't ideal, but the, the man who owned it just, show, just stored um, construction equipment on it. And we thought, you know, if we could buy that, it would help us out. And we approached him, but, but as we were looking at the property, I became concerned because I'm seeing at the very back in, in the trees and out of sight, there were piles and stacks of 55-gallon drums that were rusted out. And I thought, I don't know what was in those. But we're, we have wetlands on our property, and if there is something leaking out of those, we could be looking at a major environmental cleanup if we buy this property. And I wanted to avoid that corruption. Oh, thankfully, it didn't work out. He wasn't willing to sell. It wasn't ideal. We ended up getting a better property in the long run. And, and then not long after that, the state moved in and told him he had to clean it up. So he had to pay for the cleanup. But you know, when something is contaminated, we don't want to be near it. Gossip contaminates not only the one who speaks it, but the one who hears it. Don't drink the poison. Evil reports feed not only the bent toward our pride of being in the know, they also feed the pride of being better than that other person. It's not just the pride of knowing, it's the moral self-righteousness. You know, I thank God that I'm not like that person. You know, that doesn't put us in a position to pray. And God resists the proud. It's interesting, in Daniel 3, we read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 4 of Daniel, you have Daniel coming to Nebuchadnezzar and warning him that he better humble himself before the Lord or he's going to face humiliation. And he doesn't humble himself, and for seven years he, he goes insane and behaves like an animal. And that story is recorded in Daniel 4. We have to have the attitude that we want to be of help, not I thank God that I'm not like them. We have to have God's view of gossip, of slander, of negative reports, because it doesn't bring a body together. Number five, we need to commit to solve problems biblically. Ephesians 4.29, rather than the corrupt words, speak what is good for necessary edification that which will impart grace, that our words will be gracious, encouraging. The goal is to restore relationship, Matthew 18, 15 says. The, the, and this includes biblical forgiveness. As verse 32 says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving even as God in Christ forgave you. How does God forgive us? He wants relationship. He doesn't say, well, I forgave him, but I don't ever want to talk to them again. Now, that's not how God forgives. Now, there's process, there's a lot to work through there. But our desire ought to be, we want to see as much as possible that restoration. Is that our desire? Speech that builds up gives grace. That's what we do as we come together. That's why we have our small groups, that we can encourage one another, we can pray for one another. That when there's that struggle, that we can, we can gather together and say, how can I best pray for you? that we seek to help in those areas, that we would build up the church of Christ. To Him be glory in our church. How? By imparting grace, not gossip. That we help others grow in Christ-likeness, not try to drive them away, causing a wedge. 
Oh, that we would pray as David did in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Why do we do it? Because He's redeemed us. He forgave us of all our sin. We want to show that love to others. And so we want our speech to protect the unity of Tri-City Baptist Church. In what way does your speech protect and promote the unity here as a body? Oh, that we would be known as people who build up. And I really do believe that's the testimony of Tri-City. I, I delight to come. The, the comments I hear, the joy of our people. But folks, let's not go, become complacent. There's a danger of complacency. There's a danger of corruption. There's a danger from our culture. We don't want to get comfortable. Let us be known as people who build up others in the family of God. The spiritual unity of Christ's church is cultivated through God-honoring communication. And that ought to come when you know Him as your Savior. Are you His child today? If so, does your speech build that family? Let's make that our commitment together. Let's pray together.